0: Welcome back. James Franklin in a few moments. Today's show brought to you by Brewer's Outlet, Reagan Street and Sombray, the beverage supermarket. Imports, domestics, micro brews, best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water soft drink snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and out every day in the pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills. Indeed, second to none. All at Brewer's Outlet, Reagan Street and Sombray, the beverage supermarket. Don't forget six great flavors of slushies and gift cards for the holidays. Brewers Outlet gift card, perfect. Think about that next time you go out to Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the Beverage Supermarket. We're in the Sunbury Motors Studio, Sunbury Motors, Fourth Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Humble's Wharf, and online at SunburyMotors.com. Our play-by-play call of the day, Texas. Goes into Asheville and they beat North Carolina right there in Roy Williams' hometown. Now five. Coleman got to go. Coleman to step back. Yeah! Oh! Oh! oh, oh. Back Coleman. He dribbled the entire time. There will be time left for North Carolina he was the only one who touched the ball he made a play like this earlier in the game going to that step back move with his left hand he gets the soft touch the soft touch that bruce hornsby has on the 88 keys and with that step back james harden in the land of the sky the land of beards with Corey alexander james harden it has been matt coleman who from the outset of this tournament has been the superb player and now They just need one defensive stop. Which they got, by the way. Uh, Only Bill Walton could describe it that way. Jason Benetti on the initial call of the actual shot. And then Bill Walton with analysis only he can give. All right, Penn State takes on Rutgers tomorrow in Piscataway. With that, we are joined by the head football coach of the Nittany Lions, James Franklin. James, first of all, welcome. Uh, You were able to go through practice this week. Uh, That also really got rolling with a Victory Monday dinner. How did that go for you this week?
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, having some sort of a team dinner, which we, we haven't really had this year, was good. We were able to do it because with the university shut down, you know, we were able to be spread out out there up there and, and and be able to eat. So so that was good. obviously not having the, the families there. Terry Smith's daughter, who's kind of runs the whole program. You know, she uh, <laughs> she couldn't understand why she couldn't come. She was telling Terry um, I, I miss I miss seeing her, but but it was good. you know the, the dinner on on uh, Monday was good. Our practice on on Sunday was good. Obviously a, a big win against University of Michigan first time winning there in like 11 years. Um, so uh, that, that was a big one for us. Um, but obviously, you know, we got, we got, you know, a really tough opponent this week in uh, Rutgers who took Michigan to overtime and, and then uh, was able to beat Purdue on the road. So they're coming in with confidence and feeling good about themselves. So we're going to be, we're going to need to be ready to play. And to be honest with you, we've had some battles pretty much every year with, with this Rutgers team.
0: Yeah, no question about that. In a world where there's constantly talking, and justifiably so about four stars and five stars. What do players like Drew Hartlob and Isaac Lutz mean? You know, we can throw Chris Stall in there. There's several other names I could throw in there too, but what do they mean to a program and especially when they contribute like they did on Saturday?
1: Yeah, I think they're critical. You know, guys like Dan Chassinna last year is now in the NFL. I just you know, guys that that come here and you know are willing to put in all the work and make all the sacrifices and you know embrace their role. I think that's something that's that's really important. Um, that I think a lot of guys miss on, especially early, especially early in your career. You know, everybody's got a certain kind of vision of how they think it's going to play out for them, and it rarely does. Very, very rarely are Saquon Barkley you start as a. Uh, you know, freshman after the fourth game of the year. Um, You know, so guys that come in and are willing to do the work and all the things behind the scenes and the developmental squads and and all those types of things, and then, you know, find a role, whether it's on special teams or offense or defense.
2: Um,
1: And then I think the important lesson too is, um, you know, when your number gets called, are you ready to capitalize on it? I mean, how many, how many times where a guy's not approaching it the right way, and then his number is called, and he can't take advantage of it because um, you know of his mentality or approach. So, uh, I you know I, I couldn't be happier for those guys. They both made you know huge plays in the game, and, and I think they're really a good example for, for a number of people in our program.
0: What does it do for a sideline when guys like that make plays? Because look, you know you have a tight team.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously, you know, big plays are, are contagious and uh, creates enthusiasm and, and, and everybody, you know, gets excited about it. And it, it just kind of it lifts your whole sideline up. But I think it's also when it's guys like that, guys that, that you know, a lot of guys on the sideline can identify with, um, you know, I think it's inspiring, you know, in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's you know, it's kind of stories in the movies that you hear about, You know, guys that, uh, like you say, maybe didn't come in with all the fanfare, but have earned it. Uh,
0: I know you want more explosive plays, but you still did win the category on Saturday 6-3. You also won the turnover battle, which means now in your tenure, in your seventh season as the coach here, Penn State is 24-0 when you win both. Do you have the elements to create more uh, explosive plays based on what you see with your team?
1: Yeah, and and we need to, you know, continue to kind of build on that. There's a lot of ways, you know, to do it. Obviously, you know, early in the season, losing Journey and and losing Noah, Journey, you could make the argument, maybe one of the most explosive athletes in in college football. Um, And that has an impact on not just the run game. You know, people are are worried about that aspect in the backfield, and it it changes a a lot of things. So um, seeing these two, you know, young guys now getting Devin back, um, you know starting to do some good things starting to break some tackles falling forward um you know that's something for us to build on and now and now the explosive plays off of it you know jahan has been able to bring that aspect uh, you know to our offense this year uh, we need to continue to find ways to get him the ball parker you know has has, has really done a nice job last week i think he had nine catches. I don't think there's ever been a freshman to have that many catches yeah. in a game. And the other guy that that we're excited about is, is Keandre, and I think you know you're going to continue to see him uh, make plays and continue to grow. And and, and we got to find him a few more opportunities as well. Um,
0: by my estimate, and you know you can correct me on this, but I, I found at least looking at the tape fifteen broken tackles by your offensive players. Is that a question now of they're gaining confidence that gives them the ability and maybe not instead of just like doing it by the numbers and feeling their way through because of youth?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. They're, they're gaining confidence. They they have now uh, experienced enough of it that not only do they think they can do it, they know they can do it. And, um, you know, again, like we talked about earlier in the year, you were, you were hoping that those guys would be, uh, growing into those roles and, and growing that confidence as the season went on. Um, you know, but obviously, you know, our, our hands and their hands were forced. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, every practice, every meeting, every game, um, you know, where they experience a different look, they experience a different read or key or whatever it may be um, that all, all, those things build, you know, confidence and they build
2: experience.
0: Right. Um very quickly on the on the batted ball play, and it's not going to be about the batted ball play. Everybody's gone through that, but unusual plays happen in games. You know, Chris Davis running back a kick six against Alabama. Your batted ball play in the game against Michigan. How much time is spent by other staff members bringing plays like that to your attention? Because you can't think of everything. There's so many unusual things that happen that make you think, okay, we're going to have to put that into a practice at some point.
1: Yeah, we're, we're constantly, um, you know, Jev Lee, our, our video coordinator, um, we're constantly keeping track of plays that happen in the NFL and plays that happen uh, in college that we can show our guys, that we can review as a staff, uh, that we can use as, as teachable moments. Because the reality is you, you just can't cover them all. Um, so between things that we are gonna we are gonna practice, um, you know, uh, with our guys on the field, we're actually gonna work it into a practice, um, or it's something that we just want to show them and explain the details and the specifics of the rule uh, so that they understand it. You know, so we're we're constantly showing those in in team meetings um, of things that that show up uh, on game day. It was interesting. I was, I think it was an NFL game this week where. Um, you know, the, the defense laid on top of the offense, um, you know, during kind of a, a two-minute drive. And, you know, they forced the official's hand to call a delay-a-game penalty on the defense for not getting off the pile quick enough. They didn't call the delay-a-game penalty. Um, and, and instead of the offense getting three plays to run, at the end of the half, they only ended up getting two and uh, obviously didn't work out well. I saw one of the coaches, you know, um, you know, complaining about that and going through the scenario. So there's there's so many things that may come up in a game um, that, you, that you try to cover in, in meetings or in practice.
0: Last week we discussed the challenges of going to Michigan. Do you face the same challenge this week uh, or are the New Jersey rules different enough at Michigan to keep it a normal experience?
1: No, yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. I've never, I've never been more excited about, you know, um, getting back to a, a normal hotel schedule um, as, as I am this week. Um, you know, we're going to be able to have, a, you know, our normal team dinners. We're going to be able to have our normal team uh, meetings, um, you know, those types of things, where last week we, we weren't able to do any of those things. The Wi-Fi was, was acting a little wacky on us as well. Uh, so it was a very strange, uh, you know, situation. So, um, you know, be able to get back to our normal routine at the hotel, get some things covered, uh, get some things, um, you know, organized, you know, maybe be able to get some, some, some fun together as well uh, in those settings. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're looking forward to that. There's no doubt about it. Sean
0: Clifford and Will Levis, in watching them live and then watching video, what impressed you about them what made them so effective last week
1: well, i think what you know what we did was we managed the game you know Sean played you know within himself he he did the things that that he does well you know he he limited the mistakes uh we were able to mix levis in there and and, and take advantage of of his strengths as well and and they just played very, you know, well together. They played complementary football, uh, you know, for each other, and they played complementary football uh, for for us,
0: which is important. Now you're going to face a team that, guess what? They use multiple quarterbacks uh, along the way. Um, obviously, there's been one primary one, but because of circumstances, they used two last week. What does it take to prepare for something like that? And the fact that you also have. Used your quarterbacks in a certain way. Does that actually help your defense mentally? Because I've seen it before.
1: Yeah, I think it does a little bit. But you're right. You know they they have uh, you know they have two quarterbacks. You know one more of a traditional, one very similar to Will or very similar to Taysom Hill, however you want to you know describe it. Um, you know last week he played a lot more. You know than he had uh, previously. I want to say he had like 21 reps or something like that right. in the game last week. Um, you know, so we're going to have to be ready for both of them. Um, you know, the one's very similar to Will. He's 235 pounds. He can run it, he can throw it, um, and, and create some challenges for you as well. So, uh, we've been working on it all week and you know, making sure our guys kind of understand what they're going to do and, and how they're going to do it and why um you know and and they're a veteran team too you, you look at their offensive personnel you know their the receivers a number of more seniors and juniors and things like that so um you know obviously coaches come in there and did, done a good job but they also have gotten a bunch of transfers and they have a, a number of veteran players in their program and uh you know it, it's going to be a challenge and i think the quarterbacks are a big part of that i think the one the starters a transfer from Nebraska.
0: yes he is and uh here's the next part of this is that last week's warm up was interesting. You had two scholarship running backs warming up. You ended up using three corners in the game. Not ideal, but how did you feel in the end about the job that those two units did, considering that the limited numbers you have with each?
1: Yeah, I was I was really proud. You know, it's interesting, you know, you watch what's going on in the NFL as well. It's great to see Trace McSorley throw a touchdown pass the other night. And I don't know if you followed the Broncos situation where they had to bump up um, a practice squad receiver to play quarterback. And I actually had heard that they actually tried to get permission to get one of their coaches um, uh, to be able to play one of their quality control coaches, to be able to play quarterback in the game, which is crazy that we're talking about this and thinking about this. But I almost came up into the booth, um, uh, to see if see if you or Jack uh, could help play, you know, play play you at corner and Jack at outside linebacker. So, um, it's it's just been a very very strange year. But to see those three corners go in there and battle and, and take all the reps and. You know, make some plays against what I thought was a talented wide receiver crew uh, at Michigan. Um, you know, I was proud of them. And then again, you know, you talking about you know the beginning of the season, what our running back situation is now to you know dependent on you know two true freshmen in the game, and the one ends up you know rushing for 130 yards and is the is the rookie of the week in the Big Ten. I was proud of them because you know there's a lot of adversity going on right now and. To see those guys step up and, and find a way to be successful. And, you know, not only that, Steve, you know, those third down stops, yeah. those fourth down stops on defense. You know, we just we made critical plays at, at critical times.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jack, no matter what would have helped you, playing me would have put your victory dinner in jeopardy. So, <laughs> just so
1: you know, we would have rolled the safety over the top or something. Oh, Maybe it will help. I
0: need lots of help. Uh, you mentioned short yardage. You were 5 of 7 on third and less than 4 in the game. Michigan was 2 of 7 on third and less than 4 and 1 of 3 on on fourth down. The commitment in the trenches and their cohesion on both sides, what did it mean to you to set everything up?
1: Yeah, I think it that was that was big. We we played physical up front, really on both sides. Um, you know, I think your point earlier about you know the turnovers and the explosive plays and all those types of things those those were obviously huge in the game. But just just both our offensive and defensive fronts uh, being really physical, um, I think was a was a huge factor. Uh, you know, not only in that game, but you know, obviously in the short yardage situations and then third down. You know, offensively, we were able to get to some third in manageables and manageables and were able to pick it up. Uh, and defensively, we were able to get to, to third down and, and able to get some stops, some big stops. And actually, the number could have been even better right. if we didn't have the offside penalties on, on three third downs that, uh, you know, either made them more manageable them or actually gave them a first down and we had three of them.
0: Now, what did the you know, talk about running the ball, the yardage, but the mere threat now of having that running game? What does that now do to open things up for you to get to the explosive plays you just discussed?
1: Yeah, it just it it makes them respect you know our running game. So now that linebacker is going to be downhill, fitting to take on the run, and it creates opportunities and space behind them. So now you're putting you know people in conflict. Uh, you're making them concerned. You know, they either have to change the calls and overload the box, and then that's where you get in a situation where with some of your RPOs where Parker Washington ends up with nine catches because they kept folding the linebacker into the box and we're able to either throw off his back or throw out into the void that he vacated. Um, so, so those things you know, are really helpful, and uh, you know, those were some of the things that we were lacking earlier in the year.
0: Uh, the young, the ru- young running backs. Last question on this one. You know, one of the key for a young running back is you know, how do you pick up a block? How do you pick up a blitz? How do you help out your quarterback? I mean, in high school, that normally isn't and normally they're the ones with the ball. So how have those two young players pick some of that stuff up in a limited amount of time?
1: Yeah, I think they've gotten better. You know, Kevon's a big, strong, physical guy at 230 pounds. Is, is is not. It's not like he's undersized either. <laughs> Uh, you know, is up in the you know two two sixteen two seventeen somewhere in that range, um, you know, and and then obviously Devin's a more experienced guy, so having all those guys, I think, has been been really good. But you know, getting those looks in practice, you know, getting them confidence in, in individual and getting them some some reps, um, you know, against whether it's our defensive personnel, uh, where where Coach Pry and and, and Coach Snyder will get together in some and in some individual periods and, and work those things, obviously. A big part of his technique, technique, and fundamentals, but the other thing really is just the mentality. You know, you got to be willing to be physical. You got to be willing to mix it up. That shows up in the running game, but it also shows up to your point in pass protection too.
0: Always appreciate our time together very much. Best of luck on Saturday at Rutgers, James.
1: You too, Steve. Thank you so much.
0: And football coach James Franklin, Penn State and Rutgers tomorrow here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, beginning at 10:30. Kickoff is set for noon. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the Beverage Supermarket, and we're in the Sunbury Motors Studio, Sunbury Motors Fourth Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Warp, and online at SunburyMotors.com. Anthony Tresh of Pro Football Focus coming up in the final half hour of the show. Thanks for joining us today here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Patronage. taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. Here in the final half hour of the show, Penn State Rutgers coming up tomorrow in Piscataway. Kickoff is set for noon. We're on beginning at 1030 tomorrow as the new Lions take on Rutgers. All uh, right. Already some changes on the schedule for this weekend. Uh, We already know that Maryland and Michigan, for example, has been canceled. Also along the way, uh, BYU is going to play Coastal Carolina. That's interesting. Liberty was supposed to be the original. Liberty had a problem with COVID. So Coastal Carolina said, hey, BYU, do you want to play a game? A lot of people had thought that Cincinnati... And BYU might play this weekend, which would have been a really intriguing game, except Cincinnati can't play this weekend because of COVID. Liberty can't play this weekend uh, because of COVID. Now you have actually have a really interesting matchup between Coastal Carolina and BYU. So BYU is stepping in at the last moment. The game's going to kick off at 5 30 tomorrow. It's going to be on ESPNU. And they're both ranked coming in. BYU's 13. Coastal Carolina is 18. BYU hasn't played since the 21st, so they've been looking for another opponent. They're not scheduled again to play until next Saturday, the 12th, against San Diego State. So they're grateful to get a game. And so they're going to make the trip, and they're going to play Coastal Carolina, and that actually turns out in some ways to be a very intriguing game. Also along the way, you know that the bowl games are being uh, some bowl games are being canceled. The Las Vegas Bowl is the latest postseason game to be canceled because of coronavirus. Uh, the Vegas Bowl is scheduled to match a Pac-12 team against an SEC team. It's supposed to be played for the first time at the Death Star, home of the Las Vegas Raiders. It is the 10th bowl game to be canceled because of the pandemic. Also canceled include the Bahamas Bowl, Celebration Bowl, the first-ever Fenway Bowl, the Hawaii Bowl, Holiday Bowl, Motor City Bowl, Pinstripe Bowl, the Red Box Bowl, and the Sun Bowl. Those are the ones that have all been canceled so far. The Pac-12, in fact, has now lost four bowl games, which it had tie-ins to, the Holiday, Red Box, and Sun Bowls. Meanwhile, the Big Ten so far has lost three of them along the way because of what has happened. They have lost along the way the Red Box Bowl. They have lost the... uh, the Pinstripe Bowl, and they have lost uh, the Holiday Bowl. Those are the ones that they've lost so far along the way. So they've had three of them that they've lost to this point. So 10 total have now been lost uh, because of the pandemic bowl games. That means there's now 29, 30, I think it's 30 bowl games still left. And Boise State's matchup with UNLV, by the way, has also been canceled according to... The Mid American Conference, so that's where it stands with everybody. All right, always fun to have a little time to, uh, you know, to go to Pro Football Focus, break down the numbers, talk about some of the top players in the country. How do they rank? Why do they rank them? And so let's bring in Anthony Trash from Pro Football Focus. I know it's a week late, but to you and yours, Anthony, I hope uh, all of you had a great Thanksgiving.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me on. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys, too. All
0: right. Uh, I want to start with with Penn State, then we'll get to some other guys, if you don't mind. On your board for Penn State, who's grading out consistently highest for you on the Penn State football team?
2: Yeah, you know, before the season, and even after that first game of the year, I would have said Jason Owe would have been. Um, but since then, he has been relatively quiet. And that's kind of one of the more, I would say, disappointing performers these last few weeks. There hasn't been a consistent type of guy. You know, Pat Fryermuth, um, before he went down, he was doing fairly well. Uh, Jahan Dotson, too, right out of the gate. Kind of had that little blip there against Nebraska. But overall, still playing extremely well. But, you know, it's really kind of been an underwhelming year across the board for Penn State football. Um, again, especially Jason Oway after that first game. You know, he had ten pressures against Indiana. One of the best performances we saw by an edge rusher that week. Since then, only has six pressures for the season of his, his next four games. It kind of, uh, and we've seen more from the Indiana tackles. Kind of realize like, oh, you kind of got that production because the Hoosiers' tackles are that bad. Uh, you know, at this point in time, Kansas Kansas' set of tackles are the only lower graded tackle unit in the Power Five than in Indiana. So. You know, it's just kind of been a uh, not-so-great year across the board. No one really kind of being in that consistently good level uh, for Penn State. But I will say Jahan Dotson, like I mentioned earlier, has been a bit of a surprise this year. You're Right.
0: All right, so let's move on to some other teams. Now I'll get a, get a real read on some guys here. And let, I'm going to focus in on some quarterbacks here for a little bit, which is always the easiest place to start, and that's how this show operates. We go with the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mac Jones of Alabama last year he had to step in for Tua gave a good account of himself this year it's his show how well has he done
2: oh it's been exceptional I mean last year we I mean we coming into the season we had a a lot of concerns with Mac Jones taking over we did not expect him to ever be at that Tua Tunga Viola level you know that he was for Alabama before he went down with that hip injury because when Mac Jones came in last year you know granted he was good You know, he ran an efficient offense for Alabama, but he looked more game manager-esque than that. You know, he had a higher grade, too, under pressure than operating from a clean pocket, which is always raising red flags here at PFF because we find that type of play a little bit more volatile than we do as to play from a clean pocket. And so this year, it's been a completely different story. I mean, he looks like a different guy, and some people are saying it's because of the offense he's in or the slew of receiving weapons he has, and we don't think that's the case. He's just a really good quarterback. I mean, right now, this past week was his worst game of the year, but he, he still had, compared to everyone else in college football, it would have been a good week. He had a 77 PFF grade for the game right around there, has had a PFF grade above 75.0 in every single one of his seven starts this season, something only Zach Wilson has done this year, and of course, the level of competition is pretty different um, with Zach Wilson and yeah. Mac Jones, so... We like what we see from an accuracy perspective with him. I mean, he's avoiding negatively at an exceptional rate. So he's been a, one of the biggest surprises and best performers in college football this season.
0: Which I was going to bring up Zach Wilson next anyway. Uh, obviously, he is the straw that stirs the BYU drink. There's no getting getting around it. Competition is different. Just like if we were talking about Trey Lance, we'd say competition is, is different. But still, on the basics, how well has he performed on grades?
2: Uh, right now, Zach Wilson is on pace to actually shatter uh, the previous PFF college record for the highest single season passing grade. And so that's what kind of makes me look at the competition thing and throw that aside because when you're facing the schedule he has, you're supposed to be picking apart these defenses and he routinely is week in and week out. And, you know, really the only decent defense he faces this year has been Boise State. And that was one of his best games of the season from right. a grading perspective. So right now he's at 94.7 pass grade for the season. I mean, he he's looking like the real deal. He's up at quarterback three on our big board for the 2021 NFL draft after Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And, you know, with a situation like Trey Lance, you know, Zach Wilson's actually proving it on the field this year. You know, Trey Lance, you know, he has all the physical tools you can want, the athleticism on the ground. We've seen that. But from a pure passing standpoint, there were some, you know, a little bit of a concerns there just because, it's just all physical tools as of now. and He didn't really get the job done, especially in that lone little showcase game he had earlier this fall.
0: He's going to be an interesting one moving forward because that's going to be, I'm smarter than the rest of you. I picked him, and you better hope you are. <laughs> yeah, you better hope you are. You brought up the name Justin Fields. Something happened to him on Saturday that hasn't happened to him at Ohio State, a multiple interception game, yet he overcame it. What, what, how's How's uh, Justin Fields graded out so far?
2: Yeah, entering the Indiana game, we, we kind of expected him. We, we didn't expect to have him do what he did, but we expected him to kind of regress a little bit because those first three games against Nebraska, Penn State, and Rutgers, he performed as close to perfect as a player could possibly play at their position. Right. I mean, through those three games, he had an elite passing grade. He was the highest-graded quarterback in college football above. Zach Wilson, in that three-week span, by far the lowest, um, negatively graded throw rate, and he only had five uncatchable passes in those three games. I mean, he had twice as many touchdowns. So that, that is absolutely unheard of. Um, but this past week, one of the worst games of his career, 63.7 passing rate for the very first time, failed to lead Ohio State to an efficient passing offense. Um, but are we kind of you know worried about Justin Fields now? No, not at all whatsoever. I mean, there's if any player is going to bounce back from that type of game, it's Justin Fields. We, I mean, we think he's going to continue to be the same player that we've grown accustomed to, you know, over those first three weeks, maybe not at that near perfect level, but he's still going to be, you know, that clear cut second best quarterback in college football behind Trevor Lawrence.
0: Oh, I'm not worried about him. Not in the least. Uh, So let's get to obviously Trevor Lawrence. Haven't seen him in a while. wanted to remind everybody that the Ronnie Bass lookalike was uh, still out there playing ball when he has played. How's he done?
2: Yeah, I mean Trevor Lawrence has been Trevor Lawrence. I mean he's been the elite guy, I and mean, he has yeah. a ninety one point six passing grade through his six games. And you know when you're looking at his under her true freshman and true fros, pro, true sophomore season, sorry about that, he performed at an elite level those two years. We've never seen a true freshman or true sophomore produce at an elite level, and what we qualify as elite is above that 90.0 PFF grade mm-hmm. range. And right now, through his six games this season, he has a higher grade than he did in those first six games in each of those years. He's definitely been you know, on fire down the stretch in those two years. And so he's gotten up to an exceptional start this season. His last couple, two of his last three games against Miami and Syracuse weren't all that great, um, kind of a little bit lower passive grade than we've seen from him in the past. We had some turnover-worthy throws from him stem up that we really have not seen before. But since we haven't seen that before, we're not expecting that to continue. He's kind of in that Justin Fields category. As soon as we see him step foot on the field, like we will this weekend, we're expecting him to light it up, just because that's what we've routinely seen from him before. And we're not expecting anything negative, you know, to continue down the season.
0: Stetson Bennett, no, forget it. All right, uh, Spencer Rattler. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I'd have a little fun there. <laughs> hey, look, you went from fourth string to first. I got to give him credit. Rattler, I, uh, I, the little bit I saw the other night, I think it's the best I've seen him play. Uh, it seemed like he played a more mature game. Did that? Is that how it graded out?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't. Um, it, it was his second lowest graded passing grade of the season. But granted, when you look at the course of this whole season, that's that, that's a pretty good performance. Then he's still the third highest graded passer in college football. So that just right. kind of puts that performance into perspective as to you know how great he's been this year. And when a lot of people think of Spencer Rattler, first thing that co- or first two things that come to mind that Kansas State, Iowa State game, game ending interception. People say, you know, he's not Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts. He's going to be kind of a little bit before he gets to that, you know, elite level that Lincoln Riley has had since he arrived in Norman. But he's already there. I mean, he's looking like a real deal. I think next year he's going to be in that clear conversation for the first overall pick. When you look at what he can do, you know, off platform and outside the pocket on the run is truly exceptional. I mean, right now he's on pace to break the single season uh, PFF college record for passing grade outside of the pocket that was set in Baker, by Baker Mayfield back in 2016. Right. And, you know, he's had a lot of production, a lot of tremendous throws that were just blatantly dropped. Like if you – back in that Iowa State game, there were a few throws down the stretch where yes. if the receiver catches them, the game's over. They win the game. Right. And so we put more of, you know, th- th- that he still had, granted, you know, those first-year starter mistakes – you know, being, you're going to have that with the first-year starter, but the arm talent is there. This guy is going to be the real deal.
0: And by the way, it should be pointed out that I mean, the other guys you're talking about were older. I mean, they're older than he is. So it's one hundred percent. The bottom line that's completely different. You're, I'm anxious to see how he quote matures as time goes. Uh, Notre Dame. When you look at Notre Dame, I, I don't. I don't want to get into Ian Book here. There's no need to do that. You know, when you look at the grades for Notre Dame, I'm going to assume most of the positive grades are on, you know are on the defensive side. Would that be fair? And what are you seeing? Is and is that what you're seeing?
2: Yeah, I mean that's definitely you know kind of on the defensive side of the ball. The top best two players on there entering the year were the safety Kyle Hamilton and the off-ball linebacker Jeremiah Wusu mm-hmm. Koromoa. They've been the two highest graded uh, defensive players for the Irish too. But also on the offensive line. Right now, they have the best, you know, as a whole, as a complete unit, the best PFF grade among all Power 5 offensive lines. But I'm a little bit curious to see, you know, how they finish here because this next Jarrett Patterson, their starting center, um, almost in, in that top five range in uh, all of college football and PFF grade, he's out for the season now. And then their right guard, Tommy Kramer, had an appendectomy this past weekend. He's right. going to be out for the next couple of weeks. So it's, I'm going to be curious to see, you know, kind of how they hold up there because they've been giving Ian Book a lot of time to throw. You know, we know, like, Ian Book likes to hold onto the ball. Luckily, he's been able to get away with it because of this offensive line. You know, he has one of the 10 quickest time to throws, almost at that three-second range, which is quite crazy to think about. So they really need this unit to continue to produce at a – to perform at this high level, you know, so Ian Book can hold on to the ball there and, you know, not get into those quick decision types of scenarios where he's making, you know, bad plays. And that's what I'm afraid might happen this weekend.
0: Could uh, along the way. Plus, they'll eventually get a rematch, it looks like, with Clemson before it's all said and, said and done. Uh, I, I want to ask you about when Clemson plays Travis Etienne. Now, here's a running back, right? College running back can have a greater impact usually than maybe a pro running back can. But what do you see in Travis Etienne?
2: Yeah, Travis Etienne, he's been a little bit of a, I don't want to say disappointing this season. He's still uh, been one of the best running backs I, in college saw, football but.
0: I thought in the Notre Dame game he could have really swung it if he had played at the level I thought he could play. And he didn't really play at the level I thought he could play in that game.
2: Absolutely. And I think a part of that, too, is just because, you know, he's actually playing against, you know, athletes at at his caliber, his athleticism level on the other side of the field. I
0: hate when that happens.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But, yeah, he's been, you know, he hasn't been at that 2018, 2019 level as a pure runner, which is a little bit disappointing this year, even against some of the lower tier teams he's faced in the ACC. But from a receiving perspective, you know, going back to prior to 2019, this was the biggest thing he wanted to improve on. And this is the biggest thing we all wanted to see him improve on was his receiving ability because it really was not there in 2017 or 2018. It got better in 2019, but this year, he's been one of the best receiving backs in college football has a 90.9 receiving Mm -hmm. grade. And so when you're talking about, you know, his draft status, this year's been a big year for him because if you want to be, you know, that high draft pick in the NFL at the running back position, you have to have that receiving ability. And right now he's definitely showcasing that.
0: Anthony, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time and your expertise very much.
2: Likewise. Thanks for having me.
0: Anthony Trash, pro football focus. Always great to hear him break down the numbers as he did with many players across the country, not just concentrating on Penn State like we did at the beginning, but also talking about others. You know, you can go from Trevor Lawrence to Justin Fields, but a guy like Mack Jones, for example, at Alabama, and what he's been able to do. Uh, so interesting breakdowns always from Anthony Tresh on a pro football focus. Obviously, the Steelers, after winning on Wednesday, and they lost Bud Dupree for the year with a torn ACL. The Steelers will play again on Monday night against Washington. And it's like late Monday afternoon they're going to play Washington. Like what? I think it's 5 o'clock is when that game is going to be. And the NFL just does not, in any way, shape, or form, want to play Week 18. It is as simple as that. They don't want to play Week 18. So they have the usual Sunday games coming up that are they're on the schedule, including the Eagles and Packers. That will be uh, 425 on CBS. The Sunday night game is denver reloaded with new with their quarterbacks and then uh, they'll play Kansas City. The Steeler game is then going to be and I mentioned that the Green Bay Philly uh Eagles game is going to be on CBS. The Steelers game is going to be on Monday at 5 and it's on Fox and that'll be at Heinz Field. And then Buffalo and San Francisco is the regularly scheduled Monday night game, but that's going to be in Arizona because they can't play in Santa, Santa Clara. And the Ravens will next play on Fox Tuesday night at 8.05 against Dallas. Again, the NFL does not want to play on Week 18. Simple as that. Penn State basketball next in action on Sunday. They'll take on Seton Hall. Uh, Seton Hall is 1-2. and two. They lost to Rhode Island on Wednesday night. They've got Oregon coming up tonight. And... Then Seton Hall will play in the Jordan Center against the Nittany Lions on Sunday night. Penn State coming off the dramatic victory over uh the dramatic victory over VCU on Wednesday night on Miles Dredd's three-pointer at the wire. And also, Virginia Tech will be next. That's the ACC challenge game. Virginia Tech's now ranked. They're ranked 16th. They got VMI. Uh, we'll talk about that. Already Virginia Tech has beaten Villanova. This season, so there's a lot going on with sports. If they can just keep everything going, that will be the key. Can you keep everything going? And yes, there is a football game coming up tonight at 8:30 on ESPN, as it's going to be the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana taking on Appalachian State. UL is eight and one. App State seven and two. Yeah, so that's not a bad game tonight coming up 8:30 although you hold your breath all the time when you preview games because you're sitting there saying, I think they're going to (laughs) play. I think so. Today's show has been brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drink snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and night every day. The pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills, indeed second to none. And six great flavors of slushies and also holiday gift cards at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. And we're in the Sunbury Motor Studio. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you tomorrow from Piscataway on News Radio 1070 WKOK.